Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I'm your host, Miss J, and I hope that you enjoy today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with behavior analysis. Welcome to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. We thank you for taking the time out to listen. I do not take it lightly that you chose this podcast today. So as always, please like, subscribe, and share. Today, we have a very special guest. I'm very happy and excited to welcome Ms. Robin Williams, who is an accomplished DCBA, who has written and developed a variety of trainings for teachers, parents, and staff, and has also presented at local and international education and behavioral conferences. She has built her own practice over the last 16 years, brings 20 plus years of experience working with children and adults with severe developmental disabilities and intensive behavioral disorders. She currently consults with private clients, local correctional facilities, behavior-focused group homes and schools, provides direct ABA services to families and caregivers and professionals, and develops staff. Robin's interests include parent and teacher training and efficacy, supporting individuals who have experienced trauma, and social justice and equity. She's a proud Florida native who loves running, yoga, the beach, spicy Thai food, and outcast. Please welcome with me, Miss Robin Williams. Yay, everybody clap. Yay, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to be on your podcast. I've followed your work um, probably since you started being on Instagram. I just saw it and started reading it and loved it and it resonates with me it's very similar to what i believe and what i promote that behavior analysis can be used in every facet of our life so um thank you for having me i'm honored no I'm, I'm honored to have you and have you on the podcast because it's my goal to have you know different experts come on and you know give their expertise to the audience and tell us you know what we can do better as behavior analysts and even if the our listeners aren't behavior analysts yet or who have no desire to become a behavior analyst, they can take what we know and use it in everyday practical life. So my first question to you is, I read your bio, but give us more about your background and what what made you decide to begin this BCBA journey? Um, Okay, well, I, I started actually, let me back all the way back up. When I was in high school, um, part of my my AP classes and my, my whatever track I was on to go to college honors classes, we had to partner with students who had um, significant cognitive uh, disabilities and um, significant problematic behavior. And at that time, I don't even remember what it was called. It was just ESE. But we had to partner with them kind of like a buddy system and spend time with them in a classroom and um, learn from their teacher at the time how to teach them. And I really loved it. And I knew that I had family members who were probably on the spectrum or had some sort of disability. And I always was able to connect to them in a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, most, in most Black families, I'm a Black African-American woman, people with disabilities are just with the family. We're, right. They're not cast to the side. So whenever I would go visit certain family members with these cousins, I had opportunity to spend with them. And I always seemed to have a very natural connection and ability to communicate with those who were nonverbal, to um, understand what they wanted and needed, help them, and it really made me happy. So when I went away to college, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist, 
So I got right. a psychology degree. Right. But while I was in college, I started working um, my last year at a local facility that it was a residential facility for individuals with really intensive behavior, like mm -hmm. serious um, self-injurious behavior. Anyone who lives in the Central Florida area and is a behavior analyst now that started somewhere in the 90s probably worked at this facility. It's called Threshold. It was like a be breeding ground for us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when I started working there, I was like, oh, okay, well, who are these behavior analyst people that come in and write these plans for us? And what do they do? Because they would write the plans and they would train us direct staff how to implement and how to change behavior and how to do it. And I just was so fascinated by it. So um, I decided at that time, like, I want to do that. I don't want to be a psychologist. I want to do exactly that because we were really changing people's lives. And so I started there. Um, taking classes they offered free coursework this okay. was in 1998 1998 free coursework for those that wanted to become a bc aba at that time which is where i started mm -hmm. um it was taught by dr patrick mcgreevy and dr jose martinez who are powerhouses right in the field of analysis they taught me my first courses to become a bc aba for free and that's so, crazy that's unheard of nowadays <laughs> right it's such a blessing it was just that's that's how my journey started and so um when i left ucf after i got my psychology degree and i finished those courses um i became a bc aba went to fsu to study exceptional education because behavior analysis is teaching and i decided i wanted to be a teacher um instead of do behavior analysis all the time but it turns out that i did um, ABA consultation the whole time I taught in the classroom as well. So in that journey to get my master's degree, I also then became a BCBA um, nice. around 2000. So that's, that's my journey. That's how I got here. <laughs> that's an amazing journey, especially being taught by two people that everybody knows their names in the field <laughs> for free. Right. Like, right. where do they do this at? They don't do this anymore. I wish they did. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was still so new. The field was still so new. Right. And um, Ed Blakely at that time worked at um, Threshold and he was working with us and teaching us. We just had a lot of amazing people that, to, that we could learn from. And it was, right. it was so good. And I, I saw the science working on people and it was life changing, really. That's amazing to me. Um, I did not become a BCBA that early in life. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we had to go through the classes and do what they kind of are doing now with, you know, some modifications here and there. Um, mm -hmm. but that is awesome. I'm just, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> 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 so today's topic, what is it and why is it important? Uh, today we are going to talk about virtual classroom management and it's important to me because uh, that's what I do. I have my own business and I also work for a state funded um, discretionary project from the state of Florida Department of Education where I provide professional development to teachers. Um, and so in this crazy time that we are living in, teachers are having to teach online right. and not really knowing, um, you know, it could even kind of be twofold, not really knowing how to keep students engaged and not knowing how to manage 
behavior and set expectations while you're working online or working virtually with your students. So I just have a few tidbits to share. It's, it's probably nothing super in-depth, but I think it's things that need to be reiterated. Because right. I feel like sometimes teachers think when you go to teaching online, they kind of discard what's best practice when you're in person. Mm-hmm. And you just have to think about how to shift it. So those same behavior management tips that we we're talking about in the classroom, mm-hmm. you need to be doing them online as well. Awesome. So what does behavior management look like in the virtual setting since there's such a distinction now that, I mean, we have different counties, different states that aren't going back to school for the rest of this year. So for our teachers out there, this is, please listen up, listen up. What does that look yeah. like for the virtual setting? Um, so I like to chunk it like in, in three, three kinds of buckets, three things that you need to look at. Um, and the first thing is that you have to build community with your students. You have to know your students. Mm -hmm. Um, and and this is the same thing we do when we are working with our clients one-on-one in ABA or working with people, um, directly in ABA. We have to uh, build a rapport so that we can establish what we call ABA terminology, that stimulus control, but also students are going to want to do better for you and meet your expectations when they feel like you really know about them. And you're not just the one that's always delivering those, that negative attention or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So building community can look like a lot of things. Um, You have to make sure your space is um, open for students to share. You can do that with chat boxes. You can do that with questions to find out about them, um, what they did today. I was talking to another educator friend of mine about her online teaching right now, just the other day. And she was like, you know, I'm, I'm having my students, I'm calling them when I'm not online with them. If it's okay with their parents, I'm giving them a call. And that's just another way to build community. It doesn't have to be um, online all the time. If you're going to be instructing online, especially during these difficult times, reach out to them, ask them how they got some sunlight today. What was your, uh, what did you create today for my own children? I'm making sure that they're trying to create something every day. Right. We, we often do it together. But if you are a teacher teaching in a virtual setting, you can have a regular prompt that you ask your students that you communicate with them about that lets them know that you're there for more than just the instruction. That's going to increase the likelihood of students wanting to behave, so to right. speak, air quote, in your, <laughs> in your virtual classroom. Um, the other thing is building an engaging environment. And there's, there's several things that we can do online. There's so many um, ed tech apps that you can use and add to your classroom using chat rooms, having office time, scheduled mm-hmm. office time. Um, so students know when they can get more direct and one-on-one attention to you using visual timers. Um, so students can see on the screen how, how long they have to read something or how right. long they will have to participate in a certain discussion. That gives a little bit of structure, which we know is important for behavior management, mm-hmm. but it also keeps things engaging. Uh, using apps and platforms like Flipgrid. Flipgrid is something that um, students can use virtually and record their responses and send them back in video to you. Um, many of the online platforms that we use for learning, like Google Classroom and um, 
just slipped my mind. Microsoft Teams, some mm -hmm. districts are using Schoolology, have built within the platform those types of resources where you can keep it fun and exciting so kids are more motivated to want to engage and do the work. You have to have that in your classroom. And then um, finally, the last thing, which probably would would need to be a part of the first thing, building community, I guess I could tie them together, um, is making sure you take time to create routines and procedures for every little thing. So just as when students come into the classroom, how they um, prepare themselves, what materials they need to have ready, how you take attendance, and let your students know what those procedures and routines are first. Right. Uh, this, this is how you use the emoticons. This is what is appropriate use of the emoticons. Right. <laughs> Here, you know, be sure to give those nine examples. Um, we are going to be having a chat discussion and appropriate responses in the chat might include da 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 da. Inappropriate mm -hmm. responses might, might look like this. Let's make sure we stay appropriate. Right. Um, and giving feedback. Give, giving feedback to, to kids as they are following those procedures and routines. We should be spending a good percentage of time, um, I was on a webinar with another company the other day talking about this topic, um, learning about this topic too in more in depth, and I think it was she said 5% of your total instructional time online. I think that's what she said. I don't want to, I don't want to misquote, but I'm pretty sure that's what she said. So if you're teaching for an hour, online you need to have um a few minutes at the beginning five percent of that time what's five percent of 60 12 i don't know uh, um yes <laughs> it is it is so up, up to 12 minutes, it is i remember um up, up to 12 minutes spending that time breaking down your routines and procedures what your expectations are mm -hmm. what that might look like what completed assignments would look like um and and that kind of sets your kids up for success on the front end right now i think the biggest thing that i liked about the three um keys that you gave is the building community because kids are you know they're used to going to school and having their friends and being able to interact um i have two kids one is nine one is 12 almost 13 and when my nine-year-old found out that um, they weren't going back to school for the rest of this year, he cried. And I felt bad for him because he was like, I miss my friends, I miss my teacher. And his teacher does do a great job with, you know, reaching out to her students and things, you know, that nature. She does Zoom calls where they can, the kids could interact with each other as well so that they don't feel so isolated. But it's still, I know, very hard to still feel that sense of community when you're stuck at home all day and you don't know yes. when you won't be able, you will be able to go back out and live, you know, life, quote unquote, as normal. So I mm -hmm. love that part. That to me was, I think, is one of the biggest things to making sure the kids have success is that they still feel a sense of community, that they're not alone. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think it. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I think you know, just a few years ago, about about fifty three percent. I read somewhere that fifty three percent of our high schoolers were doing online learning. Maybe from about four years ago, some mm -hmm. information 
but now, and I think with high schoolers, it's different right? because their lives are not, um, they're part of that generation is just kind of used to those having those options. But right. when kids are young, that elementary and middle school age up to like 13, 14, that daily social interaction is so important. Right. And I'm in many classrooms where I see teachers that do a great job of building that community in person. But then they forget about when these kids are online, they still need to be able to feel like they are part of a group together. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's where the ball gets dropped. And that's, and I think, like I said, that's, I know that's been a, a argument or a, a area of contention, if you will, for some parents is that, well, my kid's just stuck here and I'm the teacher and there's no, inter, you know, there's no interaction like they would have gotten at school from their teacher because everything is just do this, turn it in, do this, turn it in. But then I've seen others that say, oh, the teacher is doing each and everything that they can possibly conceive and come up with to make sure that my child still feels engaged. It still feels like they're in school. It still feels like they're part of a class. So, and then there's a fine line to, to that. Or is there a fine line to building the community with your students? I think um, you definitely have to be careful and, and you maintain um, appropriate interactions right. with your students, right? Um, I wouldn't say as much that there's a fine line with building community because I think that most teachers are doing the best job that they can when they're in the classroom anyway, and they maintain those appropriate social boundaries. Right. Um, it's just super important that you don't forget it when, when you're right. switching online and virtual learning. Sometimes that community building and engagement, because it kind of come together, mm -hmm. community building and engagement can be done when you are having, say, um, a group lesson and then you need to in your lecturing you're maybe sharing your screen or your powerpoint with some of our older students i know a lot of teachers are doing this and then they keep engagement and community high by then grouping students and assigning them to certain breakout rooms right. to chat further and then the teacher makes sure to go into those different breakout rooms or chat rooms to join the discussion and be a part of it that's the same thing that we would be doing in a classroom setting, mm -hmm. you know, using our proximity control, listening in on this conversation, um, making sure that students know that we see when they're meeting the mark or meeting your, your expectation that you've right. already taught, and then giving them feedback in that moment, that specific kind of, and it doesn't have to be, oh, good comment or good job. Right. No, join the discussion and say specifically what it is. Uh, wow, Gerval, I noticed that you mentioned that in the American Civil War, and I shouldn't have used history because history is not <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, join the discussion, be in there, talk with them, um, assign them projects that they can do with each other in a virtual space that you can be a part of or things that they can create and then send back to you as well. Like Which using makes perfect sense. Yeah. That makes perfect yeah. sense. So for a teacher, how can they effectively deliver consequences? to a student virtually? Because I know, you know, we're talking about setting those expectations, making sure that, that we give those examples, those non-examples of appropriate and inappropriate behaviors, but you're virtual. So how can we still deliver those consequences and the reinforcement virtually? 
Um, that's, that is difficult. There, that is a challenge. Uh, there are like, I know in the classroom setting, a lot of teachers use things like class dojo where you can do students and you can let them know that you've noticed a behavior that you don't want to see anymore. Um, the best way I think to deliver consequences in a virtual setting is to provide some verbal redirection Mm -hmm. if you, uh, and restate what your expectation is. If you have already taught and laid your guidelines out for what, chat um chat discussion should and should not be and or contain and then a student violates that then you have to in that moment immediately redirect them back to what your stated expectation is and the best way to do that is verbally and when and even uh, i'm big on like front loading when we're talking about behavior management mm-hmm. um even on the front end letting students know that if you don't um meet my expectation then this is what the consequences will be. Um, A lot of school districts don't tie behavior management in with grades. So I stay away from telling teachers that, oh, well, you can deduct points. Actually, I have to go to a lot of schools and be like, "Mm, you can't do that. You can't deduct academic points. Points, right, for behavior, yeah. Um, But what you can do when you're teaching your expectations is let students know what will happen when they engage in a behavior that's undesired. Um, maybe their mic might have to be muted. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, you know, things that you can control. And with the various platforms that we have, teachers do have a lot of control about what can be shown on the screen, who can talk when, who can share when. And so um, that is one way to, to deliver consequences in a quick way and reinforcement. Right, right. That feedback and acknowledgement of when kids are on track, just saying their name oh, um, yeah. is big and very powerful. Positive attention. Oh, yeah. And I think we kind of forget that sometimes the kids thrive on the positive attention, too. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, because I've been in classrooms consulting and the one kid, there's, you know, that one kid that the teacher's like, oh, I can't do anything with this child. This, this kid is doing this and this and this and this and this. But when the kid is doing the right things, when they're following the rules, when they're lining up appropriately, when they're raising their hand, it's quiet, it's crickets. Mm-hmm. And, so, and it's like, I have to wave the teacher down and, and do, you know, flail my arms and say, remember, <laughs> he's doing something good or she's doing something good. Like praise them now, like right now, this is the, yeah. the moment, do it. <laughs> like don't miss, okay, the moment. Don't miss it. Yeah. Right. And they, for, you know, it's more, Oh, I only notice this kiddo when they're doing something inappropriate or when they're doing something that's outside of my expectation. Right. So I think that's important that teachers remember that catch, catch them being good. I remember that phrase from when, like when I was yeah. in elementary school or something, like yeah. you catch them being good, deliver that. We could do that virtually as well. So is there any literature out there about virtual behavior management? There is not, um, I mean, not research literature. Right. There's lots of tips and things online, but within our field, I was not able to find any literature. I was looking at that question like, oh, that'd be very interesting. And I think it would probably be <clears throat> because virtual learning is still fairly new. Right, right. And there's still, you know, it used to be just reserved for people who were going to college or going to night school at night for the D program. But as far as um, district wide, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) 
K through 12, it's, it's, we've kind of been thrust into this. Right. So I'm hopeful that maybe there will be some kind of research that goes into how to best manage classrooms in a virtual setting. Yeah, I was actually surprised as well, because I do know of here in Georgia, there is a Georgia Cyber Academy where all instruction is done online. So I'm kind of surprised that no one has looked at, or at least behavior analytically, has looked at um, behavior management in a virtual setting for for children or for teenagers, um, just to see, you know, what those contingencies are, what those, you know, skills are that we need to be Mm -hmm. using. So I'm actually kind of surprised as well. Yeah. Maybe someone will listen and like steer us in the right direction, but I wasn't able to find anything. I mean, I think it would be interesting to to look at variables like the amount of time that teachers spend face-to-face online versus just lecturing with PowerPoint, kids respond, um, use of supports like timers and Mm -hmm. um, blended and flipped learning, how, how that weighs into behavior management and kids meeting behavioral expectations so maybe it'll it'll come it'll come soon I'm not sure especially now given you know this current state of things I think it's making people look at different aspects of of our lives that we hadn't really considered before um I would have never considered I mean I didn't want to homeschool my children just because I have to work so I would have never considered doing research honestly, um, looking at verbal or not verbal, but virtual behavior management in the classroom. Probably wouldn't have never considered it, even though I have, um, I know of people or kids who use online learning for their complete education. Mm -hmm. Probably still wouldn't have ever thought about it. Right. I wouldn't have either. And it's crazy because um, the district that I work in, and I was talking to my colleague the other day, Um, we do professional development, like I said, for six local districts in central Florida. And a lot of our students are online. Right. A lot of our teachers teach in a blended or flipped classroom. But when, when they come to us to learn about classroom management, we don't talk about virtual spaces. And so we were, you know, commenting on like, oh, that, that's something that we probably should have been thinking about. And we haven't until now, until recently. So, yeah, you never know. I, I was, um, t- I tweeted the other day, I was thinking, and then I tweeted, I'm loving this time and I'm loving what's going to change in many fields, right? But particularly within education and within telehealth. Right, right. are embracing technology and seeking technology. I'm kind of a, a semi-tech nerd and it's good. It's not it but it's good. It is. It is. Because I've seen the many conversations about doing, you know, people who've never used Zoom before saying, oh my gosh, how do you use Zoom? <laughs> and, I'm, and, you know, and, and me over here, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know how to use Zoom? It's Zoom. Right. Like, use, <laughs> like, it's okay. Use it. <laughs> or, you know, just figuring out how to deliver, um, deliver services through online platforms. I know that's mm-hmm. been a big issue or not necessarily an issue, but a big topic lately because we're trying to figure out how as behavior analysts can we best serve our clientele or our yeah. clients through a, through a computer. We're right. so used to being hands-on and right there and in physical proximity. 
Yeah. I'm sure with teachers is, you know, teachers in the classroom, you're so used to being in close physical proximity, being hands-on, being engaged right there in front of the child or the children. Mm -hmm. And now having to reconfigure how you do what you do every day. It's not easy. It's hard, but we're doing it. Right. But everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. So what are some strategies that uh, teachers should be using daily outside of the ones that we just spoke of um, using those, the reinforcement, using the, the consequences that we can control? What are some other tips or tricks that they should be using? Mm, um, I think I mentioned this already, but I'm not sure. They should always have open office hour time. Right. So kids can seek help and seek support. Um, using, I, I'm trying to think of outside of what I've already said. Everything should be super structured in your virtual learning right. classroom. So using timers, having an agenda, um, restating your expectations every day, almost at ad nauseum, like you might be tired <laughs> every time you start your learning session, saying the same thing over and over again, but that just lets kids know that you're going to be consistent and you're going to be clear about what it is you want to see happen in your classroom. Um, I think teachers need to always be closely watching and attending to how their students are interacting and responding and mm-hmm. if they are or not. Um, sometimes in a virtual classroom, I think that it's easy for kids to get lost. Right. Um, and then because you don't, you know, if, you have, if you're teaching a class of 30 kids and they're all online at the same time, you may want to have a system for how you regularly check in and give feedback to students because feedback is a super important component of behavior management and of learning. Right. So if you have 30 students, you may want to have every two to three minutes that I'm going to give feedback to this student. I'm going to give feedback to this student where you focus on noticing what they're doing at that moment to give feedback. Um, That would just be some additional things. So what are some things that we as behavior analysts can do to support classroom teachers during this time? I think what we, what I have seen popping up all over the internet for parents and for teachers um, from behavior analysts, which is free information sessions. I know that we are the guardians of the knowledge. I'm not saying anything that many don't already know. Right. And so we can share this information it could be a quick 15 minute, hey, uh, um, live, IG Live or Facebook Live. Um, I've been thinking about doing something like that just for parents and teachers. Hey, here's a behavior management strategy. And we can begin to wrap our minds around mm-hmm. what that might translate to in a virtual setting so that we can give it to people. Um, that's one way to be super supportive, I think. I like that. I like that a lot. So in your, your experience, what are some of the biggest mistakes teachers are making when trying to effectively manage their um, classroom behaviors virtually? Mm-hmm. Forgetting what they already know about what works in the classroom. Mm. They're forgetting what they know that works in the classroom. Right. And, and teachers are, I am an educator and I'm a behavior analyst and I'm, I'm the biggest teacher advocate there is. Um, teachers are frazzled right now exactly I truly believe that most teachers get into the field because they really want to affect the lives of children they love children love education and so having to rethink 
all of the standards, all of the lessons, all of the academic expectations has people forgetting that if you don't have your foundation laid for proper behavior management, it's still going to be difficult for kids to get the academic content. So start with laying your foundation and creating the systems and structure that you need, Mm -hmm. um, which includes expectations, routines, procedures, um, all of those things. If you take time to invest in doing that, don't neglect it, then it'll make that delivery of academic content much easier and it'll make um, the environment more conducive to learning for your students. That's amazing. Um, I don't think I have any other questions for you just because you <laughs> laid everything out so concisely. Are there any t- um, anything else that you want to tell the audience that are listening before I tell them how they can find you? Um, I, I just want to thank the audience and I really want to encourage everyone to stay positive and stay light. You know, we're, we're like in a heavy time right now. It's right. Really, um, but we will get to the other side of it. I think just relying on, um, and being secure in what, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on another podcast or some, somewhere, somebody asked me like, well, what is one thing that you think we should do as behavior analysts? And I was like, just what I told you, I think <laughs> be more um, open and sharing information. We can share information and we can make it easy for people to understand how behavior works. Um, When I'm talking to people, I try to use as very little um, behavior analytic jargon as possible, but make sure that they understand the concept. Right. Something that we have to, I think, as professionals, keep in mind. Right. I, I agree. Because it's easy to kind of get into, you know, the behavior analytic jargon because we talk to each other, we're talking to our staff, we're doing all these different things, but then we forget not everybody understands or knows what certain terms mean. And we have to break it down so that they still get the concept, but they may not just know exactly what the technical term for it might be. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. So how can the audience find you and find all this great work that you're doing? Your website, Instagram, yeah. Yep. Uh, The name of my company is Simplify Behavior. So S-I-M-P-L-I-F-Y Behavior. And that's my handle on Instagram. It's at Simplify Behavior, Facebook, Simplify Behavior, website, SimplifyBehavior.com. And on Twitter, I have two handles. It one is at Robin R O B I N B C B A, and the other one is um, Behavior underscore Simply. Awesome! So Uh-oh. please, I want everyone to go to her website, go to her all of the social media handles. Make sure you are following, and do not forget to follow us on Instagram as well at Life with ABA. Or go to our website at www.lifewithbehavioranalysis.com. And I just want to thank Robin for agreeing to be on the podcast today. I greatly appreciate it. And I know everything that you've spoken on today will be very useful to whomever listens. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. You're definitely welcome. It was fun. Thank you.
The quote of the episode is by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. A man's mind, stretched by new ideas, may never return to its original dimensions. To all of the educators, teachers, janitors, anyone who works with children, we want to say thank you. We know that your job may be thankless at times. We know that sometimes it's downright difficult, but know that it is always appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Live with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye.